Two Tribes is a two-part documentary series for RTE looking at the history of Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and their roots in the Irish Civil War and how an intense rivalry gave way eventually to a coalition government. Now we bring you extended interviews with participants in the series. Owen O'Malley is son of the late Des O'Malley, Minister for Justice under Jack Lynch, expelled from Fianna Fáil in the Hohi era. He founded the Progressive Democrats. We're talking about civil war politics. I suppose to an extent, you, you, you were born into, sorry, to no extent, you were born into a house that was intensely political. What, what do you remember about growing up? Uh, because it was a very tumultuous time in Irish politics. Uh, yes, so, I mean, in the early 80s, I, when you kind of came of age politically or became aware politically, uh, it was obviously the main differences were within Fianna Fáil rather than between Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. I mean, I do remember as a, as a small child in, uh, I, I think in 1977 election, I was in baby infants or senior infants. And I do remember that there were people in my class who were in Fianna Fáil as I was, who marching around the, uh, marching around the schoolyard as after we won that election and kind of looking down on the poor Fine Gaelers. Uh, and so it was, it was obviously something that was important to, mo I mean, a lot of four-year-olds in Limerick in 1977. Uh, so it, I suppose it shows the depth of feeling that people had the attachments that people and families had, not just people who were like overtly in a political party, but just regular other people were all conscious of whether they were Fianna Fáil or Fine Gael. And that was as recently as the kind of 70s and 80s, you knew what party you belonged to. But obviously in the early 80s, uh, you had this big deep split within Fianna Fáil. And it was, uh, I mean, it, it, within our own family, it, it obviously caused huge ructions and caused, uh, caused uh, kind of deep problems. Uh, and deep, uh, I suppose, feelings of regret and deep kind of political and personal difficulties because uh, my father was was born into Fianna Fáil as well, uh, and so he found himself kind of being pushed out of a party. I'm not sure I would use the word that he loved, but it was certainly a party that he had respected and felt he belonged to and also one that he had taken a fair amount of pain for, particularly in his early career in, in the Dáil and indeed in Cabinet. At what stage were you aware of that, uh, of the fact that he, he, he wasn't just an ordinary politician, but he was one who, who lived dangerously, if you like, being the Minister for Justice? Uh, I wasn't alive when he was under kind of the more severe threats, so it was probably it was actually something that we kind of you kind of knew because you were a guard, a driver with a gun. Uh, we had the remnants of huts out the front and back of our house. Those huts, those Garda huts, we were using as little kind of huts for for kind of schoolboy games and stuff. But it was probably only in the mid eighties when he was being expelled from Fianna Fáil that uh, it became aware that I became aware that he was a kind of a, a bigger noise than he kind of seemed to be in uh, at home. Could you see the stress that the whole thing was causing him, those internal battles? Were you, would you have been aware of that? 
Yeah, I mean, he he was based in Dublin and we were based in Limerick, so we didn't actually see him that frequently. But he rang my mother every night and was kind of talking to to her about his his problems. I mean, when he was home, I mean, it was a kind of constant like, don't talk to your father or leave him alone, and he was like dragging off uh, cigarettes constantly. Uh, so he was, I mean, he was obviously under under kind of quite a lot of stress. And then, I mean, when around the time of the kind of the big heave against Hawhi, the heaves against Hawhi, and then Hawhi's pushing O'Malley out, uh, the, I mean, we were watching Today Tonight and you could get a sense of, of you know, that this was important, this was stressful, and this was, was very difficult. Owen, what do you remember about the founding of the PDs? Was it, was it a, a difficult birth? It wasn't difficult. Uh, it was, I mean, it was under pressure. He wasn't, my father wasn't that anxious for it to happen. I had the impression that even though he was still quite young, he'd had a long and difficult career in politics and I could see him maybe being happy enough as a sort of elder statesman, independent TD, who would be kind of opine on, on various matters from, from backbenches. Uh, but it was, he had had a fairly serious car accident which required him to be at home for about two or three months, which was very unusual. Uh, and so we started to have a lot of meetings in Limerick, in, in the house in Limerick, and people were kind of coming in, putting pressure on him, asking him to, to form a party. He was quite reluctant, but it was probably Mary Harney really was putting more and more pressure on him. But he was getting, I mean, he was, he was getting letters from lots of people around the country. And, and so that probably made him feel he, that he needed to do something. Uh, he wasn't, he was offered a job in Fine Gael at the time by uh, Gareth Fitzgerald, offered him a place in cabinet. Uh, but I think they both were happy that it, my father turned it down. He thought that uh, working in Fine Gael with the Labour government in the mid-1980s would have been a disaster. And Garrett kind of said, I didn't realise how, how right-wing uh, Desmond was. Uh, so, they, uh, so the PDs then kind of formed out of that. Tell me a little bit more about that uh, invitation from Garrett Fitzgerald to your dad. Uh, did that come after he was thrown out for conduct and becoming... What was the timing of that? Yeah, so it was at, at the time that he was uh, expelled from the party, uh, Garrett, I'm Dutch, I don't think, wrote to them. They weren't terribly close personally, they didn't know each other very well. But I think that there was a sense that, you know, this was a Fianna Fáiler who uh, might, it may have been a strategic move by Fine Gael to try and bring uh, some Fianna Fáilers in, some kind of moderate Fianna Fáilers over to, to Fine Gael. Uh, and so he offered him a place in cabinet. I'm not quite sure who was going to have to take the chop for that. Uh, but the, the offer was politely declined. How seriously did Des O'Malley en entertain or engage with that proposal? Uh, not really. They met, I mean, I remember they met in our next door neighbour's house. Our next door neighbour was a, was a Fine Gaeler. Uh, and they met at the time. I remember the, my father going in to meet the then Taoiseach. Uh, he just, I mean, just had to literally go next door. Uh, but I don't think he was. He ever saw himself in Fine Gael, and especially he wouldn't have seen himself in Fine Gael 
in a coalition with uh, the Labour Party, which at the time was under an awful lot of pressure from uh, kind of left-wing members in, in Labour and from unions, uh, that, that it couldn't actually deal with, with some of the problems. The Progressive Democrats really caught a wave of, of discontent and desire for something better. Those huge rallies, not least in, in Des O'Malley's home city of Limerick, um, and then huge success electorally in its first election in 87. Yes, so I mean, it was a kind of a phenomenal time when uh, you were going to kind of political rallies. And it, I mean, I don't think political rallies get four or five, six thousand people going to them anymore. Uh, and so there was a sense of despair that, you know, Fine Gael in government wasn't doing anything about the problems the country faced. Uh, Fianna Fáil in opposition wasn't offering any sort of solutions. And so the PD, PDs uh, were sort of, were offering something that uh, people at least, uh, you know, it showed that there was a burning desire for some sort of change from the, the kind of offering of the, of the two big parties. Uh, and then electorally, uh, the party did relatively well. You know, it it it, it didn't quite take off, and but it 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 did enough to deny uh, Fianna Fáil a majority government in '87, which I think for for some in the PDs was you know job done. Uh, and it also probably dragged both Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael. Uh, to the right in terms of policy, because they could now see that policies that were not really being offered by uh, any, either of those two parties could actually get uh, some electoral popularity. And so I, th I think that that probably brought those parties to the right. 14 TDs in its first outing in 87, then a, you could say a relative disaster just uh, over two years later, down to six seats in 1989, but then the arithmetic intervened. Yeah, uh, and because of the arithmetic, because there was only one really obvious outcome, uh, they ended up, uh, Fianna Fáil and the PDs and Hawhey and O'Malley end up going into government. It was not something that, you know, I presume either went into lightly. Uh, I was on holidays with my father when Mary Harney, news came from, that Mary Harney had said on the radio that uh, this was a this was probably the only option. And he cursed and shouted and kind of screamed at, at her uh, when, she, when she had said that. Uh, but I, in fact, recently found a notes from a meeting between Hawhey and O'Malley, uh, which indicate that they met relatively early on and were actually at quite an advanced stage in agreeing a coalition government much earlier on than was kind of previously obvious. Uh, and certainly the, the negotiators were running a parallel negotiation to what was probably the real negotiation between Hawaii and O'Malley. And so it was probably agreed much earlier on that, that a government would be formed. What kind of things do they talk about? Or is it possible to see the outline of an agreement or potential agreement from that, that note that your dad kept? So if, what it seems to be is maybe an offer from Hawhey, you know, of what a, an arrangement might be. Uh, and so it kind of talks about a, a fixed period of, of four years, uh, reducing the par political party status to, to kind of six members to allow the PDs become to be regarded as a political party for dull rules. And then a few other con offers of 
chairs of committees, consultation on Dáil business. So it doesn't appear to be a offer of a coalition, but it it was a, a kind of opening salvo, I suppose, from, from Hawaii. The dance had begun. Yes. And um, then it took a long time, though, for that to sink in, the idea of a coalition, maybe with Mr. Hawhey himself and, indeed, the, the, the Fianna Fáil cabinet or former cabinet members and the party. Yeah, so there were, I mean, obviously there were formal negotiations uh, with Bertie O'Hearn and Albert Reynolds on the, on the Fianna Fáil side and Pat Cox and Bobby Malloy on the PD side. But it's clear that there were also at the same time parallel negotiations between O'Malley and Hoy and possibly that they had sort of come to some understanding much earlier on than, than we, had, we had thought. I mean, I do remember the night he had to finally make the decision and he was almost in tears. There was a lot of us in the in the house in in Rathmines in Dublin, and he had kind of a lot of kind of the close political uh, uh, colleagues around. And I was kind of sitting at the back of a room of the room, and he was. They had more or less just said, "Look, Des, it's up to you. You're the one who kind of came out of that party. You know exactly who who he is and what you're dealing with." And he was almost in tears and I remember him saying oh I wish my father were alive I could ask his advice um, and then he just said oh fuck it I'll do it and that your was, mother, it. was your mother in the room yes she was yeah so uh, tell me about your mother's role in all of that my mother would have always backed up what he wanted but she was what he wanted but he was he would have always listened to to her. Uh, I, I mean, partly she was just a sounding board for him to vent towards. But I think she was also kind of relatively saner than he was and knew more about kind of people than he did. Uh, and so she possibly knew what was what they'd be able to, he'd be able to sell and what uh, wouldn't be, what wouldn't be possible. I suppose if Des O'Malley and Charles Hockey could cut a deal, bearing in mind the baggage they had, any two people could cut a deal. Um, how, what are your recollections of how it worked as a, as a government partnership between yourself and Hockey? So worked pretty well. They were fairly efficient and they, I'm not sure that they enjoyed doing business with each other, but they knew that it was business and they worked efficiently together. Uh, there was probably a, de a good deal of mutual respect. Uh, they also recognised each other's power. And so now he knew that he needed O'Malley, he needed the PDs to stay in power. So he was willing to to work with him in ways that previously my father felt oh, he hadn't been willing to work. Uh, and so there was mutual respect. It worked pretty efficiently. They used to meet before cabinet meetings. They'd agree on any issues. They'd postpone any issues that they thought weren't, weren't going to be agreeable and would move on. One of the things the Progressive Democrats in government were able to do, they were able to force Fianna Fáil, force Charles Howe into setting up the Beef Tribunal. And that in turn took on a life of its own, particularly in regards to the relationship subsequently in government between Des O'Malley and Albert Reynolds. Yeah, so the Beef Tribunal was a, probably a big concession for, for Hawhey to make. It was not something that... It was, it was basically you were starting to look at relationships with business people that uh, Fianna Fáil uh, 
politicians had. So it wasn't something that they would want to have, naturally would want to have wanted to have had. And so it was a big concession uh, for Hoy, and obviously it had big political consequences uh, down through the years. It, I mean, it, it brought down two governments, two, sub two subsequent governments. What do you remember about the collapse of the first one uh, when um, De Des O'Malley gave evidence, first of all, describing Albert Reynolds' action as minister as reckless, and then several months later, Albert Reynolds came in and used a word about Des O'Malley that effectively undid that government. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think they both sort of knew what they were doing. Um, that my father knew exactly what the implications of saying what the, he said were. Uh, he must have known or else he was kind of very naive politically. So he was probably at that stage had had enough of government. Uh, he wasn't being listened to. They were regularly, uh, there would be a vote in cabinet. Normally cabinet governments don't vote on things, especially in coalition, but Reynolds would call votes and it'd be, oh, 13 to two, Grant. And so that would be the, the end of, of that. And so he was increasingly frustrated with things. And so he was probably happy enough to let that government slide. Uh, and Reynolds, I think, must have known as well what the implications of, of saying what he said were. And so I think on, on both sides, they more or less knew what they were doing. Des O'Malley said Reynolds was, sorry, Des O'Malley said Reynolds had been reckless. Reynolds in turn retaliated by saying Des O'Malley had been dishonest. Yeah, and the dishonest accusation is probably a stronger one. I mean, you can maybe get away with being accused of being reckless, especially if you are Albert Reynolds, which was one of the things that he sort of used to sell himself as, as somebody who was a little bit reckless, or, or, as somebody who was willing to, to take risks. Um, whereas dishonest, uh, probably especially for my father and as given his sort of where he had come out of and how he had kind of come out of Fianna Fáil the way he did, being accused of dis being dishonest was probably too much. And, and again, I think Reynolds must have known that it was going to be too much. And yet you say your sense now is that the die had been cast several months earlier. The government wasn't working. Uh, Reynolds had no interest in the PDs in government, had no interest in working with Des O'Malley. It wasn't, he wasn't, he didn't want it to work. He had famously called it a, a temporary little arrangement and it became clear that to him it, it was. Did Des O'Malley have any sense or was he let in uh, on what Albert Reynolds was doing in the North, the, the kind of contacts he was agreeing to and making, uh, which ultimately led to the ceasefire? No, he didn't. He wasn't told any of it. And probably Reynolds was wise not to tell him because he would have objected. O'Malley would have objected. He would have objected to any any uh, moves to bring uh, Sinn Féin into the kind of political, normal political landscape uh, and to try and rehabilitate Sinn Féin. Uh, O'Malley would have been opposed to that. And so I think Reynolds was probably wise not to uh, not to involve him. When they had gone their separate ways and Des O'Malley was out of government and in, in political retirement, uh, did he have much regard for what Albert Reynolds had achieved in Northern Ireland? If he did, it was grudging and he certainly didn't verbalise it often, if ever. Uh, no, of, of all the uh, politicians he worked with, I think 
in terms of respect, his, he had the least respect for Reynolds. In his memoir, Des O'Malley noted that he had worked alongside or been in, in the Dáil uh, during the periods in office of four Taoiseach. There was Jack Lynch, there was Liam Cosgrave, there was Gareth Fitzgerald and Charles Hockey. And he said all four of them were head and shoulders above Albert Reynolds. Yes, he had a very low opinion of, of Reynolds. Uh, he didn't think he was intellectually up to the job. He didn't trust him uh, in terms of his politics. He thought he was too close to business uh, and too willing to uh, to concede to business. And so he was, but I mean, most of all, he just, he felt it was impossible to work with him. He said, I mean, he said as difficult as it was working with Hawhey, if he went to Hawhey with some problem, he knew at least that Hawhey would understand what the problem was, whereas my father, O'Malley, claimed that Reynolds wouldn't intellectually grasp some of the, the problems that he was, he was bringing to, to Reynolds. Did you ever meet Charles Hawhey yourself or have any dealings with him? Yeah, uh, so I met him on a number of occasions as a, as a child and then I interviewed him from academic work uh, in the mid-2000s, uh, not long before he died. Uh, and he was by far, I mean, I, I was interviewing all the former Taoiseach who were alive at the time, uh, and he was by far the most impressive, uh, one of the more most impressive people you know, I've met in terms of his kind of intellectual capacity. I think I asked one question. He spoke for about an hour, and I, I wasn't recording it. I was just taking notes, but I suspect if I had recorded it, you could have probably published it verbatim as an essay on governing Ireland. And did you talk at all, or was there any reference made in the preliminaries or the uh, in the exchanges afterwards to previous times? Yeah, uh, so I mean, Hoy was obviously a charming man, and so he charmed, tried to charm me, or did charm me, uh, and kind of made comments about, well, of course, your father was one of the greatest uh, ministers I've ever had to deal with. Uh, but, uh, and so he was, you know, charming and complimentary uh, to my father, which I suppose is kind of maybe shows some of his political skill in trying to bring the interviewer along, uh, along with him. Did you report back? To at home? Yes, I did, yeah. How did that go? <laughs> he said, Fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to the heaves we were talking about, uh, when you were um, looking through the papers uh, after your, your late father's death uh, that he had had in his possession, you came, some, uh, you came across some interesting uh, documentation, if we can call it that, uh, about the heaves. Just tell us about the more significant things. So, I mean, there were, there were some notes. Uh, Des O'Malley kept notes at, lots of, at a lot of the meetings, and so you could... He had notes about what was being said at some, at some of the meetings, uh, so especially the ones when he was trying to push uh, Hawhey out. Uh, he, there were also uh, lists of names of the people who he thought were behind him and who were not behind him or who might be potentially behind him. There was a piece of paper with three columns on it. Tell us about that. And so this was a, a in early 1982, uh, it, there was a decision, it was kind of extraordinary in, in many ways. 
If there had just been an election, Fianna Fáil was within a hair's breadth of forming a government. And O'Malley and his supporters thought that this might be an opportunity to uh, push Hawhi out, which really is kind of an extraordinary time. And to do that in that interregnum period uh, probably wasn't the wisest time to do it. But, you know, that was the depth of their distrust of Hawhi, that they, they wanted to do that. And so in this document, you have a list written by Seamus Brennan, uh, which had the definites, uh, the definitely against, and then a ones of that they were uncertain of. But it, you could see that uh, those people heaving against uh, Hawhi weren't the best readers of uh, human psychology uh, because there were a lot of names in the definite uh, list that were definitely never going to vote against Hawhi or certainly not going to vote for Des O'Malley. Can you remember any of the names? Well, you had people like uh, Niall Andrews, who was, was certainly not not going to support O'Malley. And then you had Jim Tunney in a list of uncertains. And there was one certainty in life was that Jim Tunney was going to support his leader, and that was Charles Hoy. What does that tell you about the plotters? That they were a bit naive. I think the plotters hadn't done their homework. I mean, if you look at somebody like Hawhey, and his move from uh, from the backbenches to the to taking office, it to, to to becoming leader of Fianna Fáil, he put in an awful lot of groundwork. He did an awful lot of work around the country. He looked after backbench TDs, but also not even the existing backbench TDs, but would be uh, future backbench TDs. He did an awful lot of work. He looked after them and he made, he kind of put time into them. Whereas those against Hawhi didn't really do that. They were quite busy running departments and doing things, but they didn't take the plotting as seriously as perhaps they should have. Probably the most intense times, or one of the most intense and most bitter uh, moments of tension in any government was in 1990 when Brian Lennon was standing as a Fianna Fáil candidate for the presidency and effectively the PDs insisted if the government was to, to stay together that Charles Hawhey would have to get him out of the cabinet. What do you remember about that? Uh, my sense of it was that it was a mistake uh, by the PDs for them to insist on this. I think they probably should have just let it uh, play out. Uh, but P the PDs and Des O'Malley had a tendency to kind of march up cliffs uh, without always thinking about how what the exit strategy was. Now, in this case, I, mean, I found a letter, a draft letter, which was remained unset, unsent, which was Bobby Malloy and Des O'Malley's resignation letter to, to Hoy. And so they were ready to go through with the, the threat. But it was, it probably was a, a stupid thing to do. The government was working and uh, it also created a bitter, deep bitterness within Fianna Fáil towards the PDs, which then would play out. Uh, it made it easier for, say, Reynolds uh, to kind of play up uh, the, the kind of dislike and distrust of the PDs later because they could blame this head on, on them rather than on, you know, what was originally a mistake by, by, by Lennon.
And, and Des O'Malley and Lenehan went back a long way. I mean, they sat in cabinet together under Jack Lynch and indeed under Charles Hoy. Yeah, they sat in cabinet together. They went on holidays together. They knew each other uh, well. Uh, and I mean, Lenehan was obviously always closer to Hawhey. Uh, so he would, they wouldn't have been that uh, close, uh, especially, I mean, especially after the PDs uh, had been formed. But yes, they were, they were kind of friendly. Uh, and so it would have been a difficult thing to do for him. And it was probably a mistake as well. Your, your father lived to see the two f f warring parties, if I can put it like that, or the civil war parties, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, going into government together. What, what, what kind of observations did he have uh, about that development? Uh, that it, I mean, before, before that, uh, in 2011, the election in 2011, I remember being in the uh, count centre in the ODS and he lived kind of not far away. And so I called into him afterwards and I said, Jesus, it looks pretty bad for Fianna Fáil. I think they could be, you know, below 20. And his reaction showed that he uh, had lost none of his bitterness towards Fianna Fáil. He was just, yes! Uh, so he was he was kind of delighted uh, at the result. Uh, I don't know whether he's uh, he probably became the animosity lessened somewhat uh, after after that. And I think the in terms, I mean, we did discuss politics most of the time. Um, uh, so his attitude towards that coalition was that it sort of made sense. Um, it certainly made sense for him in so far as it was uh, keeping Sinn Féin out.